Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Our mission is to reach, teach, and baptize throughout the world, beginning in our community, fulfilling the Great Commission by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. That simply means we're here to reach irreligious people and turn them into lifelong devoted followers of Jesus, equip them for a place of service in the church, and send them out on a mission for Christ in the world. We're glad you're with us today. I command blessings on you and your family today. Father, we thank you now for this privilege of worship in your presence. We thank you for blessing us with another week's journey. We thank you for the fellowship today in your presence, the songs, the scriptures, the prayers that have covered us. We do bless your name because we know why we worship. We know who we worship. We just simply express our love to you today. Praise you for who you are. Open now our hearts continually as we open together your word. Pray that your word would speak to us. That you would speak it through your human vessel. That it would lead to a deeper understanding of who you are. And a greater source of change within us cause us to want to love you, want to worship you even more than we already do. Bless now the words that are in our mouth and the meditations that are on our heart. It may be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. want to continue this morning as we open the word in the series of messages that we've been preaching from the gospel of John, the first chapter, and we've been operating under the theme, who is Jesus? We're exploring the scriptures to gain a biblical understanding even greater of who Jesus is according to the word of God. We've already looked at the first 14 verses and this morning we'll pick up with verse 14. We looked at examine a close 13 of those but this morning we're going to look at verses 14 through 18 and that's where the reading will be. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. This is the word of God for the people of God. As we continue to look at the exploration of who Jesus is, we're going to use three additional descriptive terms today. So we're going to talk about Jesus, yes. We're going to talk about glory, grace, and God. Glory, grace, and God. The first 18 verses of the Gospel of John is called a prologue. A prologue is somewhat of an introduction to a particular book or a chapter or a series of writings of understanding. In John's prologue, he lays out what I would call his thesis statement. When I'm teaching how to speak or preaching or some other class of that nature, I talk to people about the need to develop a clear thesis statement. A thesis statement is eight words or less that summarizes what this is going to be about. And so John summarizes what his entire 21 chapters are going to be about by simply saying it in four words. The word was made flesh. That Jesus became a man, that God became a human. And so starting after verse 18, he begins to tell the details of the words, ministry of Jesus' life, but in these 18 verses that's known as the prologue, he is speaking theologically concerning the nature of who Jesus is as God. 
He starts off letting us know using metaphoric terms or words to describe Jesus. Instead of saying in the beginning was Jesus, he uses a title, the word. In the beginning was the word. And he's referring that to Jesus because Jesus is the spokesperson for God. He's the agent that God uses in creation. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it said, and God said. Well, Jesus was that voice of God. And so he is saying, in the beginning, the nature of God was that he was the word. And the word pre-existed, already was in existence when everything started happening. Jesus was already there. But he was already there as a second personality, separate and independent from God. He coexisted with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Jesus was with God. And then he says, and Jesus, the word, was God. He was self-created. No one made him. He was not a product of time. Before time began, Jesus was. He existed. Now, I understand that it's hard for human beings to get their minds around these Trinitarian thoughts. How could God be three persons but yet one God? And that's what John is seeking to help us to see. Not only does he say Jesus was the word, he said in him was life. So he uses a second human term. See, we just got through singing. We just got through going through worshiping. Some people kind of looking like, wow, this is weird. What are they doing? It's hard for people to worship when you don't know who Jesus is, who you worship. And, 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 and so what I'm seeking to do through this series is to teach people who it is. We, we don't worship, we don't, we don't stand up because the director or because the minister say, okay, everybody stand. Put your hands in the air like you just don't care. <laughs> You know, that take us somewhere else. Y'all know what that is. And, and, and we, don't, we don't worship and say, okay, we, on the count of three, two to the left, two to the left. That, that, that's something else. That's, that's, that's not worship. That's a line dance. But we, we can stand in the presence when we know whose presence we're standing in. And we can lift up our hands, we can lift up our hearts unashamedly when we know who we're talking about. We're not just, we're not talking about this baby that was born in a manger. We're talking about the man who was our maker, who made us from the beginning, who is the source of life. John said, in him was life. He is the life giver, so you got your life from him. Physical life and spiritual life come from him. How you know he was the creator? It says it. Without him, nothing came into existence that came into existence. And he was the light. That's the third 
metaphor that John using in this prologue. He called him word. He called him life. He calls him life. And last time we looked at what he does as light. He shines light on what ministry should be. We're witnesses. It shines light on who he is. In the Old Testament, he was invisible and hidden. But now John says he became flesh and we saw him. So he shines the light on the nature of the invisible God becoming visible. And he says that in him was light and he shines the light on the dark nature of sin. And what is that? That men reject Jesus. He came into the world, came into the world, he made the world, came to his own, but his own received him not. That shows how sinful people are. The offer of Jesus is made every day and people are still pushing back. People are saying in this country, just like the people in ancient Israel said, when Pilate said, do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? You know what they said? Give us Barabbas. In our country, we said Jesus or Trump. And you know what people are saying? Give us Barabbas. <laughs> God. Are you following that? And so John continues with the, with the prologue and, and, and he says that Jesus shines light in spite of the fact that people reject the offer. He said, but as many as receive him, to them he give the right, the power to become children of God. So that's who we are. We worship our creator because we are his children. We are the people of God. We're not just people who attend church. We are the children of God. And if God's people don't own him, who will? And if God's people won't praise him, who will? And how do we become children of God? Because that shows us the nature of God. Not by the will of flesh. Not by blood. Not because your mama was a Christian. Not because your grandmama was. Not by the will of men, not through self-effort, but through the will of God. God decided long years ago before time began that one day you would be born. And one day you would hear the word. And you would receive the word. And you would become one of his children. And that's why you are. And now he goes on a little bit more to describe this nature. John couldn't get over the nature that Jesus, the maker, the creator of the world became a human being that just blew his mind, that he saw him, that he was one of the 12, that he walked with him and he talked with him and he handled the very person who was instrumental in his being at all. And he became obsessed with that there are some things that can happen in life that you just don't get over you know some most of our experiences that we can't get over are usually bad things 
We can't get over the loss of a loved one. We can't get over the trick somebody put us in. We can't get over the hurt somebody did or the dirt somebody did to us. And, and we hold on to those things. But John wasn't holding on to the bad thing. John was holding on to the fact that God became a man and he actually had physical fellowship with him. He touched him. He talked with him. He ate with him. He walked with him. He slept with him. He did all of those things. And he was just obsessed with that thought. How you know he was obsessed with it? Because he not only wrote the gospel of John, but he wrote three letters called epistles. And in the epistles of John, he writes almost the same thing. Listen at some of this. First John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. John said, I just can't shake it. The very one who was with God in the beginning came to the earth, lived during my lifetime, walked with me, talked with me, and I want to be a witness to tell everybody who he is. That's what John was saying. Not only that wasn't what it, all he said either, because he wanted us to know the nature of the creator in human form. That's who Jesus is. He's our creator, but he became a human. And then he says, now you got to know, you can't mess around with that understanding because that's the foundational doctrine that is essential to your Christian heritage. If you don't get right who Jesus is, you could end up in hell. You could spend every day in church, but you don't know who Jesus is. You can still die and go to hell. Because you don't go to hell because you drink, because you smoke, because you chew. You go to hell because you don't know who Jesus is and you make a mistake about who he is. So look at what John said in chapter 2 of his writing, the epistle. In chapter 2, verse 22, he said, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Any person that don't know who Jesus is, John says he's the Antichrist that denieth that the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. John goes on to tell us in chapter 3, we are children of God. That's who you are. That's your identity. I know you belong to Mama Nim, but before Mama Nim came, you belong to God. And God gave you Mama Nim to help you out, to be your human parent, but they were already your heavenly parents. And because we are brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are supposed to love who? One another, right? Yeah, it's true. Let me tell you something else John says in his opening about this prologue. Chapter 4, he said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits 
whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Can I tell you what he's saying? You got to be careful who you listen to. Everybody who declare they preaching, they ain't preaching the truth. And you got to know the truth. See, when, you, when people talk about who Jesus is, you got to ask the question, which Jesus are you talking about? Are you talking about Jesus who is God or some other Jesus? Jesus who was one with the Father that came to the earth, who became our sin bearer, who was raised from the dead and ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Which Jesus are you talking about? Because you got to know everybody. There are different people whose name is Jesus. I read the other day on the internet that they got an orange Jesus now. I ain't going to tell you who that is. Read it for yourself. Look up, look up, look up orange Jesus on the internet and see who it says it is. I, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you. Okay? All right. Look at, look at John's gospel, the same John writer as he talks in 2 John. Well, well, let me take you down to verse 12 first. He said, no man has seen God at any time. He said, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. And then in the second book, second epistle of John down at verse 7, he says, for many deceivers, are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus is coming to the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Can I tell you something? It's just as bad to believe in the wrong Jesus as to not to believe in any Jesus at all. So you got to get this right. And this, this is why John was obsessed with continually saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as of only begotten of the Father. He was just hung up on that, and he was hung up on it because he knew that that was going to be basic to our human understanding. Now, let me tell you something about the nature of Jesus, this Jesus who became man. See, he became God. He was already God, right? And what we call Christmas, when he became a baby, God just became a human. And so he became the God-man. Do you see that? God-man. Now, he has the nature of God, and he also has the nature of man. But his God nature did not overpower his human nature. And his human nature did not overpower his God nature. He stayed a human for 30 years before his God nature asserted itself. And he began to do things that no one else had been able to do. He began to show the power of God now when he got to be 30 years old that he had held under control for these 30 years. And yet, that was necessary so that he could identify with you. 
Because being subject as a human, keeping his human nature in place, he was able to experience hurt like you hurt. He was able to experience denial like you experienced denial. He was able to handle lies being told on him. But if he had not had both natures under control, you calling me a lie, zing. He didn't do that. His human nature did not overpower his divine nature. And his divine nature did not overpower his human nature. They merged beautifully. Never again to be separated. Let me tell you what I mean. When Jesus died on the cross, he died as God in man. When he rose from the grave, he rose as God. But his man nature was still there. When he went back to heaven, he went back as the God man. And when he come back at the end of the world, you're going to meet the same Jesus God man that you saw through the pages of the Bible, the one John is talking about here. So now let's go back to John chapter 1 and look at verse 14. I'm going to show you these three words and I'll let you know. This Jesus, how then can we know that he is God? How can we know that this is the Jesus that really is God? John gives it to us in these three words. First, he says, we beheld his glory. See, this Jesus became flesh. This God became flesh. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we eyeballed him. Now, what does he mean we saw his glory? We eyeballed his glory. Well, two ways you got to look at this. First, to understand the glory of God. The glory of God is all that God is. It's all that God's nature, God's personality, everything that makes God the invisible God. But going back in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus chapter 33, one day Moses asked God, let me see your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, you can't handle that. He said, he said he's man, listen, my, my glory is so much that you would be incinerated in a millisecond. He said, but I'll tell you what you do. He said, you come up on the mountain. He said, I'm going to hide you in a cleft of a rock. And he said, then I'm going to pass by you. And I'm going to let my hinder part pass by you so that you can see the aftermath of my glory. Because if I showed you all of me, you could not handle that. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm, I'm saying the, 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 the way God's glory was manifested was as blazing light, but that was not all who God is. God is more than just blazing light. That was just how it appeared. But then God goes on to explain to Moses who, who is, what his glory is about. I'm a God who is slow to anger, plenteous in mercy, and kind, forgiving sin unto the third and fourth generation. God went on to describe himself. So, 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 so God's glory is everything. It's all of his attributes. He's, he's, he's immutable. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He, he's everything. He's all knowledgeable. He's all powerful. 
He's kind. He's merciful. He's generous. He's all of that. That's who God is. But when he showed himself, he showed himself as pure light. And no human being could stand to be in that light alone. Maybe, maybe the only two people that might have got a little glimpse of it may have been Adam and Eve. Because when they were first created, they didn't have sin in them. And because they were able to communicate with God, they probably saw his brilliance. But guess what happened? When they sinned, God kicked them out of the garden because now they no longer could handle what? The manifestation of the light. All right, so even when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God was leading them to the promised land, he appeared as a cloud over their head by day and a pillar of fire by night. He didn't show them his face because they couldn't handle it. So they saw the manifest presence of God. Now, what John is saying is when Jesus showed up, Jesus displays the glory of God. Well, where does he display the light if God manifested himself as light? When they went up on Mount of the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, and there appeared Moses and Elijah. And Jesus snatched back his flesh. And James, Peter, James, and John fell down like dead men because they couldn't handle the light, baby. The light, the glory of God was so much. So John could say, we saw on that mountain the presence, the manifest presence of his glory. But that wasn't what he meant. That was only part of what he meant. What did he see? Every day he went with Jesus. And he saw the love of God. He saw the mercy of God. He saw the forgiveness of God. He saw the compassion of God. He, he saw the power of God. He, he saw the manifestation of the glory of all that God is on a daily basis. He saw how God cared about hungry people because he became a waiter that day on the side of the mountain when Jesus decided to open a bakery and a fish market. He put a basket in his hand and he saw the master just break the bread and keep serving it until it went out. He was at a wedding one night when the water was turned into wine. He, he, he was around the corner when the girl came crawling through the crowd said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. He saw the manifestation of the glory of God. He saw God when God stopped the funeral procession. Nobody can raise the dead. But he saw Jesus when he stopped that funeral coming out of the village of Nain and touched the casket and gave that widow woman her son back. Boy, go home with your mama. He saw how God feels. He saw the light and he saw the nature of God. And he said, we beheld his glory. So who is Jesus? He is the one who displays the glory of God. Isaiah said, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I also saw the Lord. What did he see? High and lifted up. Guess who that was? He saw Jesus sitting on the throne. Yes, he did, but he couldn't make out his face 
But John said when he showed up in Bethlehem and he started walking the dusty plain, we saw him and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Now, that's where I want to take you to, full of grace, because that's the second way that we can know that Jesus is God. We can know that Jesus is God because only Jesus could display the glory of God like he did when he came to the earth. It was the same light. It was the same brilliance. It was the same attributes that the invisible God had had. Jesus showed it when he was on earth, so he's God. The second way you can know that this Jesus is God is that he is a dispenser of grace. Now, grace has always been around. Grace was around in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, chapter 8, when God was ready to destroy the world with the flood of Noah, the Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But not everybody. Noah found grace. But everybody else drowned except those people that Noah brought into that boat with him, right? Because the earth had not seen the full release of grace. John here says that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. God took Moses up on the mountain. He said, I know it'd be easy for people who've been slaves in Egypt to say we don't know what sin is and we don't know what God's ways are. So I'm going to write it down for you. I the Lord thy God, I'm a jealous God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not buy false witness. Thou shalt not. And he kept going. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And so he gave it to him. He said, take this and teach this to the people so they'll know what sin is. So the people in the Old Testament live constantly under condemning. Everything they did, oh, thou shalt not. You did it, you're wrong. You're going to be in judgment, you're going to be in punishment, you're going to face the wrath of God because you have violated the words and will and ways of God. But when Jesus showed up, he became a dispenser of grace. He found folk that was messed up, and he let them go because he showed what grace looks like. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He told a story one day of a man who went to the temple to pray. Two men were in there. One was a Pharisee, religious man. He looked up, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man. I pay my tithes. I worship you. But this sinner, Jesus said, wait, this man, the sinner, went home justified because he just smote his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. They brought a girl one day. I don't know what her name was. The Bible doesn't say. But the religious leaders drug her into the presence of Jesus. Can you see it? Come on, I need you to use your mind. Got about a half. Bringing her to Jesus. Threw her down on the ground in front of Jesus. Jesus, the law said, 
she ought to be stoned. What you say? Bible said Jesus didn't say nothing. Say so he just started writing in the ground. Say so he wrote, he wrote, he wrote Ralph. <laughs> he wrote Michael. He, 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 wrote, he wrote all their names down in the sand. And then he started writing their sins down in the sand. And, and said it one by one, they passed by and they got a little look over there, saw their name and saw their sin. And said, slowly they begin to drop their rocks. They begin to drop their rocks. They put their little baffling finger up, tiptoed out of church. Got out of there. And Jesus looked at that girl. He said, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. And he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What was he doing? He was distributing, dispensing grace. And everybody that Jesus met received grace. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, he said, you've heard it said by them of old that thou shalt, you know, hate your enemy and love the one that treats you right. He said, but I say unto you, love your enemy. Pray for them that despitefully use you. He was distributing, dispensing grace. He was full of grace. And grace now lives. You and I are the recipients of grace. Grace woke you up this morning. You are in your right mind because God continues to distribute and to dispense grace. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. You don't deserve to be here. You've done enough to have been gone a long time ago. But God decided that you needed to live a little while longer, that there's more to be done from you. And he allows you to receive his grace. Paul came along later. Paul said, I was messed up. He said, I had an ugly problem. He said, that was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, to aggravate me, to just make me sick all of the time. And may I tell you, every one of us got something inside of us that aggravates us all the time. We got an aggravating spirit. We got short patience. Sometimes it's with the people we love the most. Sometimes we, got, we, we can't how to handle it. Man, I know y'all in church. Don't raise your hand. Don't get yourself in trouble like that. But just blink your eye because you know it's the truth. You know that sometimes your children can get on your last nerve. You know your husband or wife. Sometimes your boo can make you sick. Sometimes you can make you sick. Sometimes you don't like the way you behave. You don't like the way you think. And you pray to God, God, remove this from me. If you just get this out of the way, then I'll be all right. But guess what Paul said? When he prayed and asked God to remove the thorn, God said, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn. My grace is sufficient. In other words, it would never run out every time you need a little more grace. Because when you are weak, then I will make you strong. You can't make yourself strong. You get through your problems, not because you do push-ups, not because you jog, not because you're in such good shape. You get through your problem because God gives you grace. Grace woke me up this morning. Grace starts me on my way. 
Grace kept me in my mind when I was running late, when I almost hit a truck and I had some ugly things under my breath that I wanted to say. Grace held my tongue. Is there anybody here this morning that know that grace holds your tongue? When you show up at work and you want to tell them you put your hand on your hip, you let your backbone slip, and you be ready to shake it to the east and shake it to the west, but God's grace overshadow you. He's a dispenser of grace. Jesus taught it to us. So when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he said, now this is what you need to ask. Well, give us this day our what? Oh, man. And daily bread ain't just food. But it's whatever you need. Let's say it was food. How many times a day do you eat? As many times as you find somehow. You eat breakfast, but right after breakfast, I need a little snack, need some fruit now. You eat lunch, and after lunch, I need a little something else. Tied me over to dinner. Then you eat dinner, now I gotta have a little dessert to satisfy this sweet tooth. Now I gotta have a little, little TV snack while I'm watching the game. And you tiptoe back in there in your pajamas at night when nobody's counting the calories. And you find you something else. Because you get hungry again, and again, and again. And because your refrigerator keeps what you want, you are able to go and get it. But God is the refrigerator of grace. And every time you need it, all you have to do is go right there. And he dispenses it all over again. Listen, you can never run out of the grace of God. He taught Paul, Paul said, I tell you what you do when you pray. Come boldly to the throne of grace so that you can find mercy and help in the time of your trouble. Listen, I need grace. I needed yesterday's grace. I needed grace this morning. I'm gonna need grace a little later on. And when I get up tomorrow, I guarantee you, I'll need a little more grace tomorrow. By the time tomorrow night comes, I'll need some more. And if I wake up on Tuesday, I'll need grace on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and every day that I live. But I thank God that I got somebody who's full of grace and truth. That's why when I come, I can lift up my hands. Not because I count the three. Not because somebody said, it's time to praise the Lord. No, I praise the Lord because I know who made me. I know who keeps me. I know who blesses me. I know who watches over me. But I can't keep you. I got to let you out. So who is Jesus? He's the displayer of the glory of God, not only in the majesty and light, but displays all of the attributes of God. Who is Jesus? He's the dispenser of grace. But then John says in the 18th verse, he said, no man has seen God at any time. And what he implies is, but the only begotten son 
who is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. There's two words in that passage I want you to pay attention to, and that's the word bosom, and that's the word declared, because the English interpretation of it doesn't do it justice. And you have to look at the Greek words to understand what it means. When it speaks of Jesus being in the bosom of the Father, see, bosom is, is a word that really means fold. If you had a stack of books or a stack of papers and one was folded, tucked on the inside in a special hiding place, that would be the fold. Jesus was in the fold of God. See, when we think of bosom, we think of the top layer, the chest, but he was actually in the fold, the bosom of the Father, where he was one with God. And when God released him and allowed him to come forth, he, see, Paul, John goes on to say, no one has seen God but the one that was in the bosom. He manifests him. He declared him. And the word declared is not really the word declared. It means he explained him. And the word explain is where we get the, what in the Greek, where we get the word exegete. And exegete means to explain. When a preacher exegetes the text, he explains the text and tells you what it means. If you want to know who Jesus is, you got to look for him to, if you want to know who God is, you got to look at Jesus because Jesus explains to us who God is. No one was there in the beginning, but the son was there in the beginning. He saw the father when he came down into the earth and he took on an earth suit. He still knew what the father looked like. Later on, when his life was about to end, Philip came to him at that day and Philip said, hey, show us the father. Jesus said, what? You mean you've been with me all of this time and you don't know the father? He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at me. If you want to know how God feels about hurting people, look at how I deal with hurting people. If you want to know what God would do for sick people, look at how I treated sick people. If you want to know what God would do for sinful people, follow me up this hill called Calvary. Watch them as he lay me down. Look at my prints in my hand. See the nail prints in my feet. Look at me drop my head in the locks of my shoulder and watch me die. But to show you that I'm God, stand around the tomb. See if death can hold me. Watch what happens on Sunday morning when death no longer has the power to hold me down. Because I'm God, I get up and I get up with all power and heaven and earth in my hand. You want to know what the Father looked like? Look at the Son. Watch me board a cloud. I defeated death, hell, and the grave. And because I live, you one day will live also. If you want to know how I feel about resurrection, look at me. If you want to know how I feel about second chances, look at me. God is a great God. And all you need to know, if you want to know what the Father is like, mention his son named Jesus. Anybody know that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue 
is going to confess. What are we going to confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. See, he's creator, he's savior, and he is Lord. That's why I worship him. I worship him as my maker. I worship him as my savior. I worship him as my Lord. Just the mention of the name of Jesus. He is the only living God. And him I declare to you today. And I want to give you now an opportunity to invite him to become the Lord in your life. Jesus will save you. I don't care how long you've been doing wrong. I don't care what you have done. Jesus will forgive you. He will bless you. He will take control of your life. He'll make you brand new. Listen, look at me. I haven't been a good boy all my life. Did the best I could, but that wasn't good enough. Look at you. Look at your neighbor. Somebody sitting right there would say, look at me, baby. I too wasn't always where I am today. But the Lord has brought me. The Lord will save you. And if you're here today, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. Anytime during the song, give God your heart. Give one of these your hand. And let's begin a relationship. Listen at the narrative. Just a mention. Just a mention of your name. Every knee shall bow and tongue. You are Savior, you are Lord, and you are your God. He's Savior, he's Lord, he's God.
friends, this is your friend again, Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm back again to talk about this book. We've introduced this book to you before, and we want to tell you a little bit more about it today. We want to talk today about the impact that materials can have. All of us are impacted by something. We're impacted by experiences. We're impacted by things that we have heard and seen and experienced in our life. And this book really shares a lot of the impact that has been made in my life through 48 years or 45 years of being married, 50 years of being with the same lady. And I tell you, when I first got married, there were a lot of things I just did not know. But over the years and over the times, I've gained tremendous insights. And I've written down those insights and made them available in this book. Friends, in addition to the book that we have been discussing, So You Want to Be Married, I've also been fortunate enough to share insight and impact through other books that we have written. The first book that we ever wrote was When God Changes a Church. 
it becomes the church for the unchurched. The second book is a very important book, Pathways to Church Growth, Reaching the Unchurched. And the third book, Everybody Deserves a Good Funeral. I've seen so many funerals, I've participated in quite a number, and there are mistakes sometimes that are made. This book gives great insight and comfort to those who are going through the process. And finally, the book that we're featuring today, So You Want to Be Married. Follow the prompts on the screen and find out how these impactful books may also impact your life. Friends, this is Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We really appreciate all of the love and support that you have shown to us through these broadcasts. We've been hearing from people and our friends all over, and we want you to pray about being a supporter and a prayer partner and a supporter of this television ministry. If you believe the Holy Spirit has ministered the Word of God to you and you'd like to see this ministry continue and to share it with your friends, please consider being a supporter. Follow the prompts on the screen. We would love to hear from you.